Okay, let me have this first slide and we'll start. Because what you are looking here, looking at here in this picture, is the sweet spot of a badminton racket. <laughs> so, in an overhead smash, which is the most powerful stroke, the strongest stroke in badminton, the shuttle can reach over 400 kilometers an hour. When the shuttle is hit at precisely that location, right in the middle of that kind of dark red area, I've given that little area in a circle in white. Now, interestingly, it's not the exact geographic or geometric center of the racket. Just because of the way that it's swung and the, and the geometry of when the person is swinging and, and the way the racket is turning. But at that point, when you hit the shuttle right at that spot, there's this explosiveness to, to the shuttle. And you can actually feel it and you can hear it when you play badminton. For those who are badminton players, you'll know that. Now, if you're even just a centimeter off of that spot, you lose that sense of power. That transmission of that strength and the power is just not there. Even if you move a centimeter off of it, of course, you can still play badminton and you can still hit the shuttle, you can still go over the net, but you won't have that same intense power as if you're hitting it right at that. So that's why, I mean, like in earlier years, as you're coaching people to, to play badminton, actually it takes years or hundreds and hundreds of hours just to train uh, students to hit that spot right in that center of that red area. Well, I begin with that illustration because the gospel, I believe, is like that. If we get it right, if we understand it right, not just understand it with our minds, but understand it with our hearts and our lives, it can be like that. Powerful. It has a power to change. Power to change lives. The power to change hearts. The power not just to change individuals, but entire cities and even nations. And this is the witness of history but the less accurate you are in the transmission of that gospel, the farther you get away from that center, that sweet spot, the less powerful it is, the less effective it is, the less transformative it becomes. I'd like to suggest to you that for many of us who've heard the gospel, especially for those of us who've been around the church for a long time, we haven't really been taught it very accurately. And so we've been living the life somewhat off of the center of this sweet spot in terms of the gospel message. And of course, we can still live the Christian life, and it still is a wonderful source of, of joy and peace and contentment and life for us. But it won't have the same kind of explosive power and impact that it can have and that it should have. So today, today's message will be a little uncomfortable for many of us because I want to do some kind of deconstruction. So meaning I want to kind of take things apart a little bit in terms of our understanding of the gospel. Now, that's not just to make us uncomfortable for the sake of it, but really it is to try to make room and create room for us to hear that word, that gospel appropriately and so that we can build a proper foundation. Okay, so that we can hit 
that sweet spot in terms of the gospel message. Now, to show you what I mean by not having heard it accurately or having it transmitted accurately to us, I have a, a few stories I want to share about how I've heard the gospel, how I've heard the good news of Jesus over my lifetime, three different stories from three different phases of my life, one from when I was a child, a second one from when I was a teenager, and third one from when I was an adult. Just illustrating how I've heard this message. So I remember when I was a child, and I'll go to the next slide here. I remember I was a child, and I grew up in a Christian home, and I always grew up going to church. So I don't remember a time when I was not a Christian, when I didn't believe in God, when I didn't have some sort of faith in who God is and who Jesus is. But I remember there was this point in my childhood Christian journey that I kind of think of as a marker for that stage of my Christian development. And it happened in grade four. And I went to public school at a time when public schools still allowed teachers to distribute Bibles in their classrooms. That's, you know, today you would think, wow, really? That, that, that just doesn't even compute in our day. But in grade four, our teacher decided to let the Gideon Society Gideon Bible Society distributed Bibles to the students in the classroom and uh, for free. And so the teacher said, whoever wants to receive a Bible, please raise your hand. And of course, anything that's for free, I was taught, make sure you get it. <laughs> and so I raised my hand. And I remember it was around Christmas time that we received our Bibles. And I took one home. And I remember reading it through much of it. Now, the Gideon's New Testament translation is not that readable. So I didn't understand a lot of it. But I remember coming to the very end of the Bible, the back page of the Bible, and it had a few tracks, like uh, verses about what the gospel is. And I read, number one, God loves you. Number two, all are sinners. Number three, God's remedy for sin is Jesus. Number four, all may be saved. Number five, you may have your decision to receive Christ as your Savior and you may sign on this dotted line. And that's what I did. I signed my name on that dotted line. And for me, that represented my believing in Jesus and trusting in Jesus and therefore having eternal life, according to these verses that were laid out at the back of that Gideon's New Testament Bible. And so that was one of the first times I heard the gospel message in, in a nutshell. Nothing miraculous, nothing wondrous in terms of signs and wonders or things that changed overnight for me. I literally signed on the dotted line and received Jesus as my Savior as a nine-year-old child. Okay, next time I heard the gospel, or next story I'll share with you, when I was a teenager, I was in grade 11 or 12, and our church had hired a youth worker at that time, was working with us, and I was in the youth group. And this, this youth worker, he's charismatic, he was fun, and he, more importantly, took his task to disciple a group of us in the youth group, and I was part of that group. I was in grade 11 or 12, I remember, and he would pull us aside and study scripture with us, and one day he said, have you heard of the Romans Road? And of course, none of us had, and so he shared, us, shared with us what the Romans Road was, which is this kind of a collection of verses from the book of Romans sharing with us what is this pathway to salvation, and he shared it with us like this. 
in the acronym ARBR. First of all, admit that you're a sinner. Second of all, repent of your sin. Three, believe in Jesus' sacrifice for you. And four, receive the gift of salvation. This wonderful kind of a short form way of just remembering what the gospel is. And so we all prayed prayer of receiving Jesus into our hearts and received this gift of salvation, the gospel message. Okay, third story. Now, this is after I went through Regent College and I felt this call to ministry. Now, I went to Lutheran Seminary in Saskatoon. I studied there for a year. And I remember being taught that at the Lutheran Seminary that the, that the core of Christian teaching and Christian doctrine is justification by faith. That is, we are saved by faith alone. And that nothing else in terms of our salvation is worth anything. In fact, it's only through faith that we're saved. And, and in fact, as a, uh, in terms of salvation, our good works are, in fact, can be harmful because we can take pride in them. And this is a quote from uh, Martin Luther. And upon this article, that is this article of justification by faith, all things depend, which we teach and practice in opposition to the Pope, the devil, and the whole world. And Martin Luther is a little bit, um, let's say, colorful in his language. This is one of the more ironic uh, statements from Martin Luther. But this is a, the sense that this doctrine of justification by faith in Jesus is the, the, the foundation of all of Christian theology. And therefore, this is the gospel, the purest form of the gospel. Three different stories, three different phases of my life, three different sources in the church, all explaining to me what the gospel is, essentially saying the same thing. I'm a sinner, Jesus died for me, Believe in Jesus, and I'll be saved. Is that the gospel? Is this the gospel? Do these statements encapsulate what the New Testament teaches as the gospel? Well, I would like to suggest to you that they do not. Okay, let's do a little word study. Godspell, or gospel, comes from this word, godspell, from the Old English, and uh, it means literally good news. So that's where we get our word gospel from in the English. And sometimes we use, instead of the word gospel in English, we use the word evangel, evangel. And evangel actually comes from the Greek, euangelion, and that separated into two parts of the word, you, meaning good, and angelos, or angelion, uh, message, or news. So good news. And that's what the English is based off of the translation from the Greek as well. So good news. Gospel or evangel basically means good news or good message. And there is quite a bit of confusion, I think, today about just what the gospel is. In addition to what I just shared with you, which I, I can see that people are troubled in thinking, what is the gospel? I'm going to share with you in just a moment what that is. But I went through the internet this week, um, 
And I, I just Googled, what is the gospel? What is the core message of the gospel? And I came up with, just within five minutes, all these different things about what is the gospel. And here I'm going to share with you some of them. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that God loves the world enough to give his only son to die for our sin. The gospel is the good news concerning Christ and the way of salvation. The gospel is, broadly speaking, the whole of Scripture. The gospel is Jesus' death on the cross as a sin offering to fulfill the law's righteous requirement. The gospel is the good news that Jesus conquered sin and death and offers to share that victory with us. The gospel is the good news that we do not and cannot earn our salvation, but that the work of redemption and justification is complete in the cross. So all of these statements I found within the first five minutes, just thinking or just Googling, what is the gospel? And then here is a definition from the um, all-knowing artificial intelligence gatherer, ChatGPT. <laughs> I, I punched into the query, what is the gospel? The gospel according to ChatGPT, the core message of the Christian gospel is that through faith in Jesus Christ, individuals can be reconciled with God, receive forgiveness of sins, and attain eternal life. Different Christian denominations may place varying emphasis on certain aspects of the gospel message, but the central theme remains the redemptive work of Jesus Christ for the salvation of humanity. Now, most of those statements and this reading probably sounds pretty good to us, right? About what the gospel is, right? I can see most of us nodding. But again, I ask, is this the New Testament definition of the gospel? And I have to answer again, no. The statements, everything that we've said so far in terms of salvation, all these statements are true. They are biblical. I do believe they are true. But are they the gospel? Because that's what we're talking about today. And the answer, again, I think, is no. And the key, actually, is very simple. It's actually in the name of Jesus. And we even sang about it today. Well, what is, this, what is the last name of Jesus? Christ? Trick question. There is no last name of Jesus. <laughs> there is no last name of Jesus. So, actually, Jesus Christ, in the first century, in the ancient world, they didn't use last names as we do today. So they would identify people from the birth of their father or the birth where they were born. So Jesus, son of Joseph, or Jesus of Nazareth, to identify people. What is this last part of his name that we think of as his last name? Christ. Jesus Christ. It's actually not a name. Christ is a Greek form of a, a verb, Creo, which means to anoint. So Jesus Christ, Jesus Christos, is really saying Jesus anointed. And it's short for Jesus the Christ. So that's what he's sometimes called in the New Testament. Jesus ha Christos, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the anointed one. And that comes from the Hebrew Mashiach, Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. In fact, sometimes he's just called Messiah, Mashiach. Sometimes he's just called Christ. It's not a last name. It's actually a description. It's actually a claim. 
It's not a name. It is a claim. Jesus, Messiah. Jesus, Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah. Christ Jesus. Messiah Jesus. Do you hear that? You see that? So any understanding of the gospel, of the good news of who Jesus is, must deal with this primary, primary fact that the New Testament centers on the question of who Jesus is in terms of Jesus as being the Messiah. Okay? Now let's turn back to ChatGPT for a second. Let's go backwards if we can. Um, back one more. Yeah. So here we do see Jesus Christ, right? But is Christ here being used as a name or is it being used as a title? Is there any description, understanding of Christ as Messiah? Not really. Jesus Christ here really is kind of referring to the, the kind of sense of the, the name of Jesus. So that's what I mean when I say, what is the gospel? The good news of Jesus is that he is the Messiah. And it's not just about language, it's not just about words, but it's about understanding what messiahship is, what messiahship meant in the first century. And that's really the beginning of understanding what the gospel message is. And we're going to unpack that a lot more next week and the week after. And so I hope you're able to kind of stay tuned and kind of continue to focus on that. But this week, I really want to focus on some distortions and distractions from the central message of the gospel. Well, at this point, you might also be asking, what does it matter? What does it matter what we call it in terms of the language we use around um, all these statements, these theological statements that we said in terms of uh, human sin and what Jesus has done for us and salvation? You might not call that the gospel, but does that really matter that we don't call that the gospel? Because if they are true, they are biblical statements about who we are and what Jesus has done. Well, they are, uh, it is important what we call it because, as I said, the gospel has a certain place in the New Testament. It's like that sweet spot. It's when you get it right, it has this power to change. And so that's what we're trying to understand today. All the potential benefits flow from this place of the gospel. Listen to what Paul says again in our text from Galatians. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And he talks about those who want to distort the gospel of Christ. And even, he says, if an angel from heaven, or even if he himself comes back to the Galatians and preaches to them a different gospel, let him be accursed. That is the strongest language he can use. Let that person who changes this gospel message, which I first preached to you, let that person be accursed. Like that person is, is to be thought of as least worthy because they're changing this message that he has first brought to the Galatian church. Even if 
Paul himself changes his mind. He's saying to the Galatian church, don't trust me, trust this message which I first entrusted to you. Now, in the book of Galatians, what they're wrestling with is how do believers of Jesus relate to Judaism? And then what had happened after Paul had left the church was that this group of people came in who followed Paul and said that, well, you don't just have to believe in Jesus. It's not just about faith in Jesus that counts, but what really counts or what counts in addition to that is that you also have to obey the works of the law. And that meant especially uh, the traditions of Judaism, including circumcision for the men and uh, observing kosher, food laws, and then observing special days, uh, certain days of the week and certain weeks of the year and months of the year, and that if you fulfill all those things, then you are truly a believer. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Faith in Jesus, the message about who Jesus is that I deliver to you, that's all that's required, and that is what is required. Focus on that on the identity of Jesus, nothing else. If you change that, if you distort that, if you add to it, that's not the message of Jesus. Now, today, our distortions of the gospel are not of that sort. I don't hear anyone going around saying that, you know, to truly be a Christian, you need to be circumcised again. I think if, if that were true, they'd probably have a really, really small following. But there are distortions of the gospel today. And I think one of them uh, that I want to talk about today is this focus on us as individuals. Focus on us as individuals. Focus especially on us. So, let's go to the next slide. Here again is a formula of the gospel message that I heard growing up. It's a very popular one. I'm sure that many of us have heard it. Do you see, as I've highlighted here, this focus on us? Admit that you are a sinner. Repent of your sin. Believe in Jesus' sacrifice for you, and then you will receive the gift of salvation. Again, it's not that any of these are false or wrong or untrue. They are true, they are biblical, they are part of what the Bible teaches. But is this where the focus of the New Testament gospel is? The key question that the New Testament asks is not, how do I get rid of my sin? The question is the other way around. The question it asks is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And then secondarily, what does that mean for me? And that was the primary message of the early church. It was, the early church, it was a message that they took to heart so deeply that they would give their lives for it. And in fact, most of them did, those early believers did give their lives for it, believing that this is who Jesus is the Messiah, the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament, the fulfillment of the entire story of the Hebrew Bible, and we're going to talk about that more 
next week. Okay, so one of the things I think we have to get right is to put the emphasis back where it should be. Not on us, not on our salvation, but on Jesus. Not on what we receive from him in terms of our benefits, but on Jesus. Of course it's true, we do receive benefit from it, and we are involved in the story. We are. We are invited into this story. But the story's not just all about us, is it? It's about God, what he's done in this world, and it's about Jesus and who he is in Jesus, and we're invited into this. And yes, our sins are forgiven. Yes, we are given life. We are given peace. We are given joy. Our lives are transferred. We receive healing from him. But it's not just for us, the gospel. The good news is that this is who Jesus is. And as we give our lives to him and follow him in obedience and give our allegiance to him, all these benefits are just a natural consequence of that good news. Okay, I want to shift gears a little bit. And I want to speak especially to those who may be a little bit younger in faith and perhaps even those who might be on the fence about faith. So, today I titled the message, Distortions and Distractions. Well, church surveys tell us in the last couple of decades, those who identify themselves as being religious have increasingly, well, have decreased by a lot. Or I'm not sure what did I said, that those who identify themselves as not being religious have increased a lot. So, here in this slide, you can just see the trends especially those three dotted lines, dashed lines at the bottom. So this is by cohort of age. And so the older people are up near the top and the younger people are near the bottom. This goes to those who are born up to 1999. So anyone who's born after is not going to make this chart. But the trend is basically the younger you are, the more you do not affiliate with any religion at all. And it's more and more pronounced. So basically, what it's saying is that you know, the younger you are, the, ch- the higher the chances are that you actually don't affiliate with any formal spiritual religious organization or faith at all. So for us older folks, I include myself in this, part of it is that we have heard a distorted gospel. That part of it, I think, is that it's all about us. For younger folks, I don't think that you've heard a distorted gospel. I think part of the problem is you may not have heard the gospel, the good news, at all. You may not have heard the good news at all. Let's be honest. For most of us here, most of the time, life is pretty good, right? I come from an immigrant family. I grew up here, so... Um, I haven't experienced the same kind of hardships as my parents did, but I know from stories and from talking to my parents and from visiting extended relatives back in Malaysia that life was not that easy for them. Uh, My grandparents from South China migrated because they were not welcome there and went to Malaysia, and uh, my dad sometimes spoke to me about he had to work in rock quarries when he was a child, and um, they had farms growing up, and he tried to make ends meet. And my grandparents lived through World War II. Now, I don't have to go that far back in my ancestry to know that I have it pretty good here in Canada. I have never known poverty, never lived under the threat of war. I've had lots of educational opportunities. We have health care, we have social safety net, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
We're just so comfortable here in Vancouver, right? It's, it's continuously one of the, the best places to live in the world. You got the oceans, you got the nature, you got mountains, you have everything here. And uh, we hardly ever get snow, right? <laughs> Although today we did, just a little bit. I remember living uh, in Saskatoon for a year. If your car breaks down on the highway, it's minus 40 out, that actually is dangerous because you can be stuck in a lot of trouble, but not so here, right? Everything, it seems, is so comfortable here. And there's lots of things to do, right, to, to kind of um, take our mind off of things. I like to play badminton. My kids like to play volleyball and hockey and do dance. There's a reason why everyone likes to come to Vancouver. But it's also true that despite our generations now experiencing more and more comfort and um, lots of luxuries and recreational opportunities, educational opportunities, despite all this privilege and comfort, people are experiencing lots of distress, the younger generations. And uh, in schools, I hear it, in high schools, depression, anxiety, suicide, self-harm, these things which my generation did not wrestle with when we were younger. Why is that? That this generation which has so much opportunity, so much comfort, so much um, convenience, yet experiences at the same time so much distress and is finding life so challenging. I think part of it is that all, despite all the privilege and blessing that, and the gifts that we have, when we take our eyes off of the greater question and the gift giver, what happens is that these gifts themselves, these gifts themselves cannot fulfill the deeper need that we have simply as human beings. And so there are these challenges that we're living with. In fact, these gifts, these blessings, when we don't recognize a giver, they become distractions, don't they? Because they prevent us from asking those deeper questions. The deeper questions. Who are we? Why are we here on this planet? What are we doing here? And then most important, who is Jesus? And what is this good news, this good, good news that the church has held on to for 2,000 years, saying that something really radically good has come about in Jesus? What is that news about him? Well, that's a question that we get to ask in these next several weeks as we kind of dive into this uh, series, The Good News of Jesus. And uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to take that time just to invite us into that posture of listening for and thinking about, again, what is the good news.